Welcome to Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk about the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and give you our picks for the Uniform Number Hall of Fame. You can also hit us up at puttinupnumbers.com and give us your picks. I'm Tom Davis here in the City of Angels, and joining me from Dallas, he's my main man, fun guy like a mushroom, cool like Fonzarelli, but fly like Jeff Goldblum. It's Rudy Klanick. Rudy! What's today's number? Today's number is number 63. And you may ask yourself, 63? What are these guys doing, man? That's a tough number. But we picked that number because we had an awesome interview with one Jim Morris. Jim Morris of the famed rookie movie, the Disney movie that Dennis Quaid played Jim Morris, the 35-year-old rookie pitcher for the Devil Rays. And we had a really fun interview with him. But before we get to that, I do have some breaking number news. Tom, are you ready? Number news. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm excited about number news. We got some number news. Well, first of all, we had some uh, a little bit of an update. They've delayed Eli Manning, a.k.a. Dumbface. They've delayed his <laughs> jersey retirement at Ole Miss. I don't know if they made a new date on that yet. Like anything else in COVID, it is very flexible. They've delayed that. They may be rethinking it. <laughs> That's not official, but you never know. But in the real number news, in actual number news, I've got some soccer news. So we talked in our first podcast way back when about the jersey number 10 and the significance in soccer. It is the number in soccer worldwide, of course. And an American has been given the number 10 by Chelsea no less. Mm -hmm. One of the best, most uh, heralded soccer clubs in the world. Christian Pulisic will be wearing the number 10. That's big stuff, man, coming out of the Premier League, right? I'm not exactly Mr. Soccer, but I do know that number 10 is the is the number of record and honor in the Premier League and elsewhere. And so congratulations to Mr. Pulisic. Let's get into Jim Morris, huh? That was pretty cool. Talking to a guy who's had a Disney movie made about his life. He was great. He's a nice guy. Had some really fun, I think, insightful comments about 63, which is clearly the number you get when they call you up in late September. <laughs> um, but he had some really interesting and good stories, great anecdotes about 63. So let's get to it, man. Yeah, he's got a new book as well called Dream Makers that he'll talk about within the interview. But here it is, Rudy, myself and Jim, the rookie Morris. Our guest today lived his very own Disney movie. Jim Morris was a high school baseball coach and science teacher who incredibly made the major leagues in 1999 at the ripe old age of 35. The story of his life and his rise to the majors became the blockbuster movie The Rookie, starring Dennis Quaid, a film that won the ESPY for Best Sports Movie in 2002. Since his playing days, he's become a highly sought-after motivational speaker, and in 2015, he launched the Jim the Rookie Morris Foundation, which assists underprivileged children in and around San Antonio, Texas. His new book, Dream Makers, picks up where the rookie left off, telling the story of his contentious relationship with his father, his struggles with pain and addiction, and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with the best people possible. We're excited he's here with us today. Jim, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Ah, glad to be here on Putting Up Numbers. Thank you. Jim, first things first, let's talk a little bit about number 63. It's not a number that is uh, highly sought after probably in professional baseball. How did that number come your way? You know what? As a rookie, and I wasn't on the 40-man roster, anything over 40 are for people like me. And so <laughs> I, I got like 63. And I had no idea what that would mean later, but the significance for me has been fantastic. Number one, it meant I was in the big leagues. I don't care what my number is. Number two, there's just some seriously great stories that go along with that number. 
but I was just glad to be there, man. All at the behest of a group of teenagers who, when people counted them out, they overcame and then they pushed me into my dream again. And then it works out. When I'm supposed to be retiring, I play again. Who knew? So you mentioned a few stories. Can you give us just a couple of the ways that 63s come up in your life? Well, I write in the book, the first book, The Rookie with uh, Joel Engel. He called me up and he goes, what was your number? I said, 63. And then he called me back and he goes, your best friend that passed away in 94, he said he drove a school bus. What number was that? And I had to call John Mark's mom and she said he was 63. I've got a picture of it right here. And then I had 63 kids come out from my baseball team. He asked me about that and I had to look it up and I'm like, 63. And he goes, I don't think this is a coincidence. <laughs> and, and then we move on. The movie comes out. I speak at my church in Dallas when I live there. And I get a letter like two days later from our pastor. And he goes, in the 63-year history of Preston Road Church of Christ, you are the most awesome speaker we've had on Sunday night. And I was just like, 63-year history? Wow. And then on and on, there are times when I was speaking and I'd be on a plane and you guys are busy, you know that, well, normally we're busy when it's not 2020, but I'm traveling so much and you get tired and then you're speaking to people and they're giving them all you got. And I'm on the plane one day and I'm just saying a prayer before we take off. I'm like, God, I'm tired. And I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Please tell me. And then this flight attendant from the front comes up to meet the one at the back, right at my row on a Southwest flight. And she goes, everybody aboard. She said, yep. All 63 passengers are on board. Wow. wow, And I'm like, wow. I mean, just story after story like that. I go up to South Dakota. I stay at mile marker 63. I talk to 63 bankers. It's 63 degrees. I just doom, doom, doom. And you're like, wow. But see, here's the deal. I thought for a while, I thought this is all about God and he's showing up and he's showing me like this. And he's always, it's good. It means good. Then I'm on a plane one day and I'm reading something and it hit me and I went, you know, I've, had that number around some seriously bad people too. And then I went, you know what? Just let me know he's there with me, good and bad. But that number has come up repeatedly, man. It has just been incredible. That's amazing. That's great stuff. I know, I know Tom and I think that a movie should be made about our lives. But we're <laughs> talking to a guy, we're talking to a guy that, that had a movie made about him. How did the rookie change your life? How did that movie change your trajectory? Oh, man, things I never even saw coming. I've been to countries and met people I never, ever would have met or seen had I stayed in a classroom teaching in West Texas. Getting to know Dennis Quaid during the filming, after filming, and even up to today, just watching somebody like that who's been so popular for so long and made so many movies. But the thing I noticed about Dennis, we were pushing the movie. We're in Vegas with Russell Athletics, an endorser for the movie. We're at their party. And they have us in a room for 500 people, and there's like 4,000 people in there. We can't breathe. He grabs me. We go out in the casino. There's nobody around. By now, I've known him four years. We're good friends. We hang out together. I go watch his band play. And so we sit down at a blackjack table, and he plays a few hands, and there's nobody in the casino because everybody's at the party. And I'm sitting there talking for a I look up, and there's 500 people around us in the blink of an eye. And I went, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you're a movie star. I mean, just... <laughs> It's just a different life. But then to move ahead and my agent go, you need to be a speaker. And I'm like, I cannot speak in front of people. I teach a group of 30 kids at a time. I write a lot of notes on the board so I don't have to talk a lot. I said, I'm not going to speak to the people. He goes, I already, I already signed your name on a contract. You got a speech next week. I'm like, you did not. And so he goes, yeah, for Major League Soccer, front office people. And so I show up and I get there with the author of my first book, Joel Engel. 
and I'm petrified. And Steve's calling me on the way, my agent, he's like, write everything down, put all the points you want on index cards, 45 minutes. You got to talk for 45 minutes. I'm like, fantastic. I go in, I start talking. And almost two hours later, I get done. Nobody's moved. Nobody's gotten on their phone. Nobody's gone to the bathroom and they're glued on me. And I'm ecstatic talk for two hours. Call my agent. He goes, you can never talk that long. Only an hour. <laughs> Dude, well, you want this and then you want that. But I was hooked because I think there's a draw and I don't make fun of other people. I make fun of me. And so anything I've done that hasn't been smart and decisions I've made that haven't led to good places, I'll share that with people because I'm open and honest. And they see that and I think they can go, if he can kind of giggle about that, so can I. And so humor has become a big part of my talks. And I just think we get to life and we take it too seriously and we forget to have fun. You've got a brand new book that we mentioned at the outset, Dream Makers. What inspired you to write a book? You know, for 20 years, I do question and answer sessions after my speeches. And everybody was asking, we love the movie. We love Dennis. It was a great story. But what have you done since then? Well, since then, there's been a lot in life that's happened. 58 surgeries over 20 years on painkillers almost that whole time, pre, during, and after surgeries. That didn't work. And the doctors were telling me, it's just Parkinson's, you're going to get worse. It's just Parkinson's, you're going to get worse. And so I thought, well, you're giving me pain pills. They're not doing nothing. I will be my own doctor and I will start drinking vodka. And never took more pills than I was supposed to, but I drank vodka on top of it. Next thing I knew, I wound up in rehab. So this book is for people who have made mistakes that want to come back and then go, wow, if he fell that far and he came back, so can I. And surrounding yourself with the best to be the best is something I talk about in almost every speech, because if you want a good, solid team, everybody around you has to do their job. And nobody can be talking about anybody else. We got to build each other up, nothing negative. And so you have people around you who have like goals and like dreams, who are as smart or smarter than you are so that you guys can move onward and upward and nobody holds you down. It's when the dream killers get in your life. And I mean, dream killers can be anything. It can be alcohol, it could be pain pills, it could be depression, it could be a lot of things for a lot of different people. And those are the people who need to get away, we need to get away from. So it's a whole story about a whole different set of circumstances. You have Parkinson's, you're just going to get worse and then go to rehab. And then after rehab, you have a neck surgery. And then after that, all of a sudden your symptoms start going away. You start working out again and came, your mother bought you to walk around the curb. You're not using that anymore. You're running. And now you don't have Parkinson's and they've done brain tests and, and brain scans with me drinking the radio, radioactive fluid. And they're like, your brain is normal. And I was supposed to have CT-induced Parkinsonism, right? Too many concussions in college football and high school football and then baseball. And so I don't have any of that anymore. And I don't take anything for Parkinson's. I don't have it. My neurosurgeon goes, this doesn't happen. He goes, you're going to run into people who think you're crazy. But I was, <laughs> here the, I was here for the whole journey. And I can tell you, you were bad off. And so cool. it, it's about overcoming things that we never saw coming. I was never supposed to pitch again. I came back throwing harder. You've got Parkinson's. You're just going to get worse. I didn't. And everybody goes, oh, well, you do everything right. And that's why it happened. Really? Because I took all those pills the doctors gave me. And I put alcohol on top of that. And I found myself in rehab. <laughs> I don't do everything right. We can make mistakes. It's how we get up and dust ourselves off and get back after it that's going to make us who we are. It's a journey. 
Jim, I, I wanted to ask you about a person in the kind of long ago in the Raven Mirror high school football. You played for a legend in Texas lore. I'm I'm a Dallas, Texas guy. In fact, work for Dave Campbell's Texas football. Ah. So Gordon Wood is clearly a, a legendary figure. How did he influence your life, your young life, when you were playing football for him? My father was a great athlete but didn't like to sweat. And so like his third day of football, he quits, but they moved me back from Florida to Brownwood so I can play for him. So he thinks I'm going to quit just like my dad did, you know, 25 years before. And I didn't quit. And he taught me it doesn't matter how big, fast or strong the other team is. If you have a better plan and more heart, you're going to win. And we did everything so many times that we didn't have to think about anymore. We were more prepared and we were in better shape than anybody we played. Were we the best? No. Were we the biggest? Absolutely not. Were we the fastest? No way. But we won because we knew what the other team was going to do before they did it. And he taught us how to do that. And he taught me how to win. He taught me how to lose. He also taught me how to overcome pain, even at your being your own worst enemy. But he, he was a fantastic coach. And you know, like on Mondays, and we hated Mondays. Game day was the best day of our life because we got to hit other people. But on Mondays, we would show up with a script of 40 plays. And we would run through those plays one by one. And if we got to 39 and we screwed it up, we went back to number one. He knew how to do it. Jim, I wanted to talk a little baseball with you. How hard did you throw before you had the arm injuries? What were you throwing at that time? High school, 87, 88, once in a while, 90. Yep. With, with good movement. And then a surgery at 28 in which they took out 85% of my deltoid and said, you'll never pitch again. And then 10 years later, coming back and throwing 98 to 102. And the doctor's going, that's impossible. You don't have anything. And Dr. Joe, as a matter of fact, you did my Tommy John. He goes, if you figure out what you've done, you tell me so I can get rich. And I go, man, you are rich. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> did you know you were throwing that hard before you went to that tryout? I know the movie shows you throwing into a radar detector on the side of the road. I don't know if that's... That's true or not? I hope it's true because it's awesome. But did you know you were throwing 98? <laughs> Absolutely not. And here's the deal. At the beginning of the season, the kids couldn't hit me. We made the deal. And by the end of the season, I couldn't get high school kids out. And so in my mind, I'm like, you're going to go to a tryout and you can't get a 16-year-old out. That's going to be hilarious. <laughs> now, the radar gun was a great scene. I saw it every day when I would go to work, but I never thought as a science teacher, hey, if I get out and throw a ball at this, it might light up. <laughs> and a screenwriter, Mike Rich, did it. It lit up and I'm like, I am not a good teacher. And, <laughs> but we had it in the movie because Dennis loved the scene. Everybody else, it graded really high and it let everybody know I had no idea how hard I threw until I actually got to the tryout. Yeah. Speaking of the movie, it's pretty accurate, right? I mean, and the, the one thing that Rudy and I talk about a lot on this podcast and just as friends is sports movies that take what actually is a pretty good, pretty realistic story. And then they sort of put the Hollywood in it to the point where it's like, well, wait a minute. This is just basically a story about a guy named Jim Morris who never did any of this stuff. But your movie, the, the Rookie, is pretty accurate, correct? Over 85% accurate. And Dennis said, those standards in Hollywood, you take it and run. <laughs> yeah, they even had Royce Clayton, the Royce Clayton, who you struck out as the first batter. I thought that was a nice touch and nice of him to do that. It was absolutely 
amazing to do that at the ballpark in Arlington for three nights. I, when we, before the movie process started and Bill Plaschke wrote this big article about me in the LA Times, everybody in Hollywood wanted to meet me in that four day stint playing the Angels. And Disney's the last one we went to and everybody's wanting to change the story and add the story here and add this there. And I'm like, that's not what happened. That's not it. And I don't want that because that's ugly. I want a story about kids who people count out and older people who somebody may have failed and they've got to try something again for a second chance and see if it works. Just so happened that it works for the kids. And when I walked up to Disney, Michael Eisner sits us down and basically says exactly what I said, walking across the grounds of Disney in Burbank. And I went, they have microphones in the parking lot. They're huge. <laughs> and I was sold before we walked out of there. Disney was the place awesome. to be. That's great. Jim, we've we've hit what we'd like to call the plug zone. Tell us more about how people can get the book, how they can book you for speaking engagements, if and when that ever becomes a reality again. <laughs> Just tell us everything that we can do to get involved in Jim Morris world. Uh, JimTheRookieMorris.com is how to get a hold of my assistant. She can set you up for speeches or talks or interviews. DreamMakersBook.com. You can get it from DreamMakersBook.com or Amazon. It's a funny time right now that we're going through. And I've had to learn, my wife and I, two years ago, were joking on a plane. We're like, we need to look into virtual inter interviews and conferences so we don't have to get on a plane all the time. And then 2020 hits, we're like, you can't go anywhere. You can't be a public speaker because you can't be in public. Can you do virtual talks? And so then you're thrown into a whole new world. But I think that's what life is about. It's about learning new things and learning what we're made of and getting up, getting after it again and getting dirty. Well, it's a great movie and you've got a, a great story, Jim, and we wish you all the luck and success with the book and everything else that you're doing. And God willing, you'll be able to hit the road again, but we appreciate you taking the time and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you all. Thanks, Jim. Have Thanks, a terrific Jim. day. You too. You guys take it easy. Our thanks again to Jim the Rookie Morris. Remember, you can buy his book, Dream Makers, at his website, jimtherookiemorris.com. Rudy, 63 is the number today, and Jim Morris was, of course, one of the exemplars of that number. We don't have a ton of people, honestly, in baseball, hockey, or basketball who wore number 63. We're mostly in the football realm this time around. But run us through real quickly the baseball basketball and hockey guys of note since we do go deep here on putting up numbers absolutely well obviously jim morris is at the top of our list of baseball players at the age of 35 and 36 don to 63 there's also ryan madsen for all you philadelphia phillies fans you remember him 04 to 08 not the best pitcher in the world, but he did win two World Series rings, one with the Phillies and one with the Royals. So high five, man. Raphael Betancourt, or 63, for 12 years with Cleveland and Colorado. Justin Masterson, an eight-year career with three different teams. And Kevin Gregg, or 63, with, wow, five different teams. Anaheim, Florida, the Cubs, Toronto, and Baltimore. So Kevin Gregg, you got around, but man... Nobody. You never had a worry about a retired number when you're number 63, right? That's a smart <laughs> move. You throw down a 63, you don't have to fight anybody. You don't have to pay anybody. You come in and I say, what number do you want? Well, I'd like the 63. Is it retired? No, it's not retired. Sentimental favorites, Dexter Fowler, Mike Morgan, Victor Martinez. They all wore 63 before switching to an actual real number that counts when you're making really big salary and you're on the roster and stuff. So again, what we said, 
63 is a number that they give rookies in spring training and give guys that are there for a short period of time. But when you change your number, that's kind of when you made it. In basketball, we got Cody, C-O-T-Y, by the way, Cody Clark played three games. Now, this is digging deep, man. <laughs> on a ten on a ten day contract with the Celtics, and he's the only player in NBA history to wear sixty three, and he's now playing in Israel. So he didn't work out at sixty three, but there you go. In hockey, we got two guys: Mike Ribeiro, averaged nearly fifty points per year in a seventeen year career, and Joseph Vicecek who wore 63 in his eight-year NHL career with the Hurricanes, Predators, and Islanders. That is a quick, quick hitter of three sports all at once. That's going to be a record for us. Not bad, not bad, but football. We're going to stop down in football. So, Tom, why don't you take us through football, and we've got some good ones here. At the top of the list for me, in terms of contenders, is, of course, Kansas City Chiefs great Willie Lanier. Second-round pick of the Chiefs in 1967. He wore 65 in college, and 63 was just the number they gave him in Kansas City, not a number that he picked. He was really the first African-American Rudy to excel at middle linebacker. And if you remember back in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s, African-American players were generally not they were not quarterbacks. They were not middle linebackers. They were not centers on offense because those were apparently the positions that required intelligence and maybe intelligence that people at the time didn't think that African-American players possessed. So Willie Lanier really changed all that by being a middle linebacker and being a very successful middle linebacker with the Kansas City Chiefs. He played his entire 11-year career in Kansas City. He was all AFL, all AFC, all pro every year from 68 to 75 and was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1986. He also had weird padding on the outside of his helmet that we'll talk about later on. (laughs) But (laughs) Willie Lanier is a boyhood idol of mine and certainly belongs on the contender list. Who else do we have? Yeah, that's a cool one, man. 63 as as a linebacker is an awesome number for a linebacker. Really different. A lot of these guys are linemen, but a linebacker at 63 is pretty awesome. Well, I'm going to throw out Gene Upshaw. I mean, Gene Upshaw was one of the best to ever play offensive guard. 17th overall selection in a 67 AFL draft, eight-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, 15 seasons, won an AFL championship and two Super Bowls with the Raiders, and is the only player to play in a Super Bowl with the same team in three different decades. How about that, man? And a Hall of Famer enshrined in 1987 and also very involved in the labor (laughs) negotiations over the years as the uh, president of the Players Association. So Gene Upshaw, that's pretty hard to contend with. That's a great 63. For sure. As is Leroy Selman, maybe the greatest player or one of the greatest players in Tampa Bay Buccaneers history. He's the first ever draft pick of the Buccaneers in 1975. Uh, He won the Lombardi and Outland trophies at Oklahoma. And he also won back-to-back national championships, oh, by the way. Played nine years before a back injury ended his career. He was a three-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, Defensive Player of the Year in 1979, elected to the Hall of Fame in 1995. Unfortunately, he has passed away. But Leroy Selman certainly deserves to be on the contender list. Great 63 there. Another one is Dermonte Dawson, an excellent Steeler, second round pick for the Steelers in 88, replaced the late and great Mike Webster at center, played his entire 13-year career with Pittsburgh and made seven straight Pro Bowls, 
and a six-time All-Pro. He, too, is in Canton. We got a lot of Hall of Famers, man. He was he was elected in 2012. But Jermonte Dawson, one of the best to do it, and he did it for one of the, you know, all these guys like Gene Upshaw, Lanier, Dawson, played for these fantastic NFL brands and really define kind of what those, those teams are all about. Next one, we're going uh, old school, and you're probably wondering at this point, Tom, is there any limit to the number of University of San Francisco football players that you're <laughs> going to talk about on this podcast? And the answer is no. So Dick Stanfell is the next guy on the list, offensive lineman, second round pick of the Lions in 1951, member of the NFL all-decade team of the 50s. He won back-to-back championships with the Lions back when they were good in 52 and 53. He also played three years in Washington, where he wore number 60. In total, he went to six Pro Bowls in seven seasons, was an All-Pro four times, retired at the early, early age of 31 because he wanted to pursue a career in coaching and was a college and professional offensive line coach for 35 years, including a Super Bowl win with the vaunted 1985 Chicago Bears, was posthumously elected to the Hall of Fame in 2016. So Dick Stanfell deserves some recognition. Who else do we have, Rudy? Another Hall of Famer, Mike Munchak, taken eighth overall in the 82 draft, nine-time pro bowler, played for 12 years with the Oilers, and his 63 has been retired by the Titans. He's also in the Titan slash Oilers ring of honor, no question about that, elected to the Hall of Fame in 2001. Eventually, he became the offensive line coach and head coach for the Titans. He was a head coach for the Titans from 2011 to 2013, but uh, man, let's keep the trend going with another really, really good offensive line, uh, 63. Jeff Saturday. He actually got cut from Ravens camp, Rudy, in 1998, began a job as a manager of an electrical supply store. And one of his teammates at North Carolina said, this guy is the guy that you should sign. He was killing all of us in college, and I can't believe he's working at an electrical supply store. So the Colts brought in Jeff Saturday in 1999, and the rest is history. He played 14 years, 13 in Indianapolis, and one in Green Bay. He wore 63 throughout. He's a two-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, won a Super Bowl with the Colts and Peyton Manning, enshrined in the Colts Ring of Honor in 2015. You can see him on ESPN virtually every time you turn on the television set. But Jeff Saturday, a more recent person, but definitely belongs on the list and somebody who is definitely somebody that you think about whenever you think about the career that Peyton Manning had in Indianapolis. Yeah. We've got one more contender, and it's an interesting one because we're using his 63 from college. The first time I went to a Baylor Bears game in Waco, I walked into the stadium and noticed I knew Mike Singletary played linebacker for the uh, Baylor Bears. And of course, he played uh, for the Chicago Bears as well. What I didn't realize is he wore 63 as a linebacker for the Baylor Bears. He was a tackling machine everywhere he went. But that number 63 is a hallowed jersey in Waco, two-time All-American. He once had, how about this, 35 tackles in one game. 35 tackles in one game. Like somebody <laughs> stole money from him or something, man. That's unbelievable. He's a college football Hall of Fame, no-brainer. And, of course, made his other number probably much more famous in when he wore number 50 for 12 years with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, Mike Singletary, a great college player, great professional player. And, and with the, the num- number of numbers 
that the Bears have retired. I'm surprised that his 50 is not retired in Chicago, but it's not. Honorable mention, guys, guys who maybe don't quite make the contender list, but certainly belong in the conversation. First off, Ernie Holmes a member of the Steel Curtain defense of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1970s, also wore number 63 before Dermonte Dawson, played six of his seven professional seasons in Pittsburgh, had 40 career sacks in those six years. Also, Y.A. Tittle, kind of a strange one, wore 63 for his first three seasons with the Baltimore Colts, ultimately became a Hall of Famer in 1971, where he wore number 14 for years and years and years. But Y.A. Tittle broke into the NFL wearing number 63. Another 63 is a uh, really a, a well-known guy in Dallas. It, part of the Dallas doomsday defense with the Cowboys is Larry Cole. Played in five Super Bowls, two of which the Cowboys won. He actually had four career pick sixes, amazingly, as a defense to tackle. His last one came in his final season, 1980, 10 years after his third one. So he, he separated those by 10 years, but got another pick six in his final season. And he famously said after that, anyone can have an off decade. So good, good sense of humor there, Larry Cole. A really good 63 for the Cowboys, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's a great line. Doug Wilkerson is another guy who belongs on the honorable mention list. Played 15 years, 14 of them with the Chargers, three-time Pro Bowler. He's in the Chargers Hall of Fame. Who else do we have? We got Jay Hilgenberg, best known for his years as center for the Bears, seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, part of that 85 Bears team. We also have, and I just wanted to say this name, so I'm skipping you a little bit. I wanted to say Fuzzy Thurston. I love to say Fuzzy Thurston. <laughs> or 63 from 1959 to 1967 with those absolute powerhouse Green Bay Packer teams. They won six titles and two Super Bowls over that time, but Fuzzy Thurston threw down to 63 for the pack. And our last guy is Bill Shakespeare, not William Shakespeare, Bill Shakespeare of the vaunted Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He was an All-American at halfback and punter. Shakespeare was an early adopter of the forward pass and actually was the third pick overall in the 1936 NFL draft, which was the very first, Rudy, NFL draft. Third player taken overall What kind of professional career did he have? He didn't have one. He decided to become an executive at the Cincinnati Rubber Company, where he spent his entire career and eventually became president of the company, was elected to the College Hall of Fame in 1983, and appeared as himself in the movie that I'm sure, Rudy, you cannot forget, The Big Game. In 1936, he appeared as Bill Shakespeare in the movie. And that's really our contender list for the number 63, which means what time is it, Rudy? Well, speaking of Bill Shakespeare and being in movies, I think it's time for Screen Stars. (laughs) You got it, baby. It is Screen Stars time. And we dug deep this time, Rudy, into the annals of movie history. So deep, in fact, that I'm smelling celluloid even right now. It's incredible how deep we went with this. Number three on the list. We only have three, but number three on the list is a gentleman named Bud Spencer, who played a character named Bulldozer in a movie called Uppercut. From 1978. Number two, Marcus Toji, who played Marcus the Toe 
in Little Giants from 1994. He was the kicker in that movie. Uh, Marcus Toji also was in a really good show, Rudy, that you should watch that used to be on Amazon, just called Patriot. Really interesting, funny show where a guy is basically a hired assassin and he has to work for an engineering company based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and nothing could be worse than that. (laughs) And finally... Number one on the list of screen stars. You knew where we were going the whole time with this one. Dennis Quaid as Jim Morris in The Rookie 2002. You heard Jim talk a little bit about Dennis in the interview. I would love to have Dennis Quaid play me in the movie of my life. So Dennis Quaid is our number one person for playing Jim Morris in The Rookie. And Rudy, that's screen stars. So, Rudy, we are moving on now to the Hall of Shame. And our Hall of Shamer this week comes from nascar jocko majacomo a super fun name to say jocko majacomo drove a self-owned number 63 car in 22 nascar races over 10 seasons but he's best remembered for an accident with bobby allison at pocono in 1988 allison actually hit the wall in front of jocko jocko couldn't go anywhere and t-boned him and allison was actually pronounced dead at the hospital but was revived and although it ended his racing career bobby allison will have his 83rd birthday in december so obviously things worked out for bobby allison but majacomo only appeared in one more race and then retired, citing PTSD and guilt over the accident that, at least for a time, killed Bobby Allison. Since then, no one has appeared in the number 63 car in NASCAR since 1996, when Dick Trickle drove it in two races, and Dick Trickle is a super fun name to say as well. So, Jocko Majacomo, congratulations. You win the Hall of Shame Award. So, Rudy, then we have the Derek Rose Award. And for those of you who are uninitiated with the Derek Rose Award, it's a career that was short-circuited by either brushes with the law, with injuries, something to that effect. Rudy, who do we have as this week's Derek Rose Award recipient? Well, so we like to make everything about ourselves, of course. And we actually have this this award winner was really kind of in the spotlight during a game that you and I sat next to one another at. 100%. Barrett Robbins played nine years for the Raiders. Uh, in 2002, his Pro Bowl and All-Pro season, the Raiders made the Super Bowl. You and I were lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl in yeah. San Diego, which was really fun. The pregame parties were more fun because the game kind of sucked because we got to watch John Gruden run around and fist bump and be sway overly happy, but whatever. But the day before the game, Mr. Robbins turned up missing. Never a good sign. Even a worse sign. They approached his wife and asked her, where has he been? Well, he spent most of the day in Tijuana. And he was so disoriented that he thought the Raiders had already won the game and he was actually celebrating the victory. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. So when he did resurface that night, he was so incoherent that he didn't know where in the heck he was. He didn't recognize his head coach, Bill Callahan. Of course, Al Davis giving guys 15 chances to succeed. Good for Al. Still wanted Robbins in the lineup and had Willie Brown take Robbins to the parking lot of the team hotel to run sprints to see if he could play. Now, Robbins did not play, uh, spoiler alert, and I don't know if that was the only reason, but it was probably a pretty significant reason. 
while the Buccaneers defense dominated the Raiders, one of many. Uh, Raiders lost the game 48 to 21. Robbins went into rehab and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which is sad, of course. He did regain his starting job the next season, but then his name showed up in the Balco scandal and he tested positive for the clear. So he was released in 2004. I uh, spent the next decade getting into tons of scrapes with the law, going to rehab. He was shot three times in a brawl with police in Miami Beach, sentenced to five years in jail after Dallas police found crack cocaine in his car. He was released in 2012. Last heard from in 2016 with, when he was charged with two counts of felony battery before being sent to a mental health facility. If that's not the Derrick Rose Award, I don't know what is, man. But um, Barrett Robbins, number 63. I hope you're hanging in there, man. It sounds like you've had a tortured life, and I'm sorry to hear that. And Tom and I missed you when we were at the Super Bowl. And that's just a humble brag that we went to a Super Bowl, really. That's what this whole thing is about, is me and you went to a Super Bowl. So that was cool. Yeah. And I wanted to even get off a story about the Playboy party that we went to the night before the Super Bowl, where they had naked women who had sushi on top of them. They were actual human plates. Yeah. And it was amazing to a young man from the gritty streets of Carbondale, Illinois, to see such scandalous behavior. It's important to know we didn't want to go like we were made to go. No, we didn't want to go. I mean, we somebody gave us tickets. Uh, we just went and we hung out. We didn't really mix in on the record. We took no, we ate no sushi. Okay. No, no sushi. Was no, no. By our friends, yes. By us, absolutely not. So anyway, <laughs> good night in San Diego. Not a great game, but hey, we were at a Super Bowl and we were there. Unfortunately, Barrett Robbins was not. So congratulations to Barrett. You're our Derek Rose Award winner. Man, let's get over to Heat Check. We've got six guys in our Heat Check that are trying to put 63 on the map. Why don't you kick us off with one of those six gentlemen? Sure. Let's go six to one. And to be honest with you, you could put these guys in a bag and jumble it up and probably come up with any order. But let's go six to one. Number six is Michael Deiter from your Miami Dolphins. Uh, It's his second year with the Dolphins. He started 15 of 16 games his rookie year. He's currently listed as a backup, but then again, so is Tua. Who's number five? That's right. Number five is Ben Garland. Uh, He wore 63 with Denver, Atlanta, and San Francisco. Made a name for himself at the Air Force Academy where he played defensive line uh, before flipping over to offensive line in the pros. So we're cheering for you, Ben Garland. We're cheering for you, man. We're looking at Pro Bowl and All-Pro in your future. So good luck. But right now you're number five. Who is number four? Number four, Rudy is Tyler Ennis. He's worn number 63 throughout a 12-year career in the NHL in Buffalo, Minnesota, Toronto, Ottawa, and Edmonton. Wow, that's a lot of places to go in just 12 years. He missed most of this year with an injury, and he's the only player in Buffalo Sabres history to wear number 63. Who's number three, Rudy? And by the way, those are only facts you can get on putting up numbers. That's that's the only time you're going to hear that. Number three, Sean Doolittle, wearing 63 for your Washington Nationals defending champions of baseball. He wore 67 and 62 with Oakland and Washington. It's a two-time All-Star, obviously World Series champ last year. Uh, he wore 63 because his grandparents, Jan and John Urban, were married for 63 years. Pretty uh-huh. cool, man. That's cool. Tip your hat to your grandparents. That's awesome. 
So Sean comes in at number three. How about number two? Corey Lindsley, the center for the Green Bay Packers. A super durable guy has started every game he's been available for. He's now in his seventh year. He's ranked 15th by Pro Football Focus in their listing of the top 25 offensive linemen in the game. So Corey Lindsley is number two, which leads us to number one. Who do we have at number one, Rudy? Well, anybody nicknamed the little ball of hate must be ranked high, and he is ranked at the top of our heat check. That's Brad Marchand. His entire career has been spent with the Boston Bruins, where he did win a Stanley Cup in 2011. But he is called a little ball of hate because he is a pain in the ass. He's one of the biggest (laughs) pests in the game. He's always doing the dirty work. He's like the Boston Bruins, I guess, uh, Marcus Smart, to put it in a basketball term. I mean, he's he's a guy you want on your team and hate if he's on the other team. But Brad, you're number one, brother. Come on. Congratulations, Brad. And former President Barack Obama had something to say about Little Ball of Hate as well. Brad Marshall uh, went into the season playing on the fourth line, uh, but the little ball of hate shrugged off the rookie jitters. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> What's up with that nickname, man? <laughs> Which brings us to the Hall of Fame. Rudy, we have five guys on the Hall of Fame list. Four of them are NFL players, all Hall of Famers, but who is number five? Yeah, number five, man. We're, we're going to be homers today because we like him so much, but Jim Morris, no disrespect to NFL Hall of Famers we talked about that aren't on this list, but Jim has great stories about 63, um, and the thing about Jim is, you know, all of us have sat there and watched a game and thought, man, I could have done that. I could do that. We don't get off our couch. We don't do crap about it because we really couldn't do it, but Jim decided to get off his couch and start throwing 98 mile an hour fastballs. (laughs) And he tried out for the Rays and made it and pitched in Arlington and they made a movie about him. So he's got to be in our list and he comes in at number five, but great interview. And I think, well, well warranted. He was a great number 63, you know, for sure. Number four on the list, Dermani Dawson member of the NFL's all-decade team of the 90s, the last Steeler to have played for both Chuck Knoll and Bill Cowher, uh, has two super cool nicknames. One, Dirt, because he liked to ground his opponents into the dirt. And the other one was Ned Flanders, because off the field, he was as mild-mannered and affable as you could be. So both Dirt and Ned Flanders. So Dermani Dawson knew when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Who's number three, Rudy? Number three, we talked about him earlier, Leroy Selman. That's a cool name, too, by the way. The only Bucks player to wear 63. It has since been retired. Unfortunately, we lost Leroy in 2011 at the age of 56. But really, one of the great defensive ends in the history of the game. And he is a college and pro football Hall of Famer. Leroy Selman comes in at number three. Let's go to number two. Um, This is a tough one for you, man. Not putting him at number one, but let's go for number two here. I know. I'm biting my lip and saying Willie Lanier is number two on the list. Another cool nickname, Contact, for his hitting ability. Had 27 career interceptions, 15 fumble recoveries, and as we mentioned at the beginning, an unusual helmet that had padding on the outside 
to help him absorb blows. He won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs and was NFL Man of the Year in 1972. He also appeared as Tommy Bunka in the 1974 film The Black Six, along with NFL stars Lem Barney, Joe Green, Carl Eller, Gene Washington, and Mercury Morris. He's a member of the NFL's 75th and 100th anniversary teams, and his number 63 is retired in Kansas City. Sorry, Willie, you're number two, which leaves us only with number one. And Rudy, who has the vaunted number one spot for number 63? Well, that would be none other than Gene Upshaw. When you're a member of both the 75th and the 100th anniversary all-time NFL teams, you are our number one dude at number 63. He played 207 straight games, was a team captain for eight years with the Raiders. As we mentioned before, he was executive director of the NFLPA, had a lot to do with a lot of labor situations in the NFL. Gene Upshaw is our number one Hall of Fame 63, and that's a pretty good episode, man. And that'll do it for us. For this edition of Putting Up Numbers, our thanks to Jim Morris. Remember, you can get his book, Dream Makers, at jimtherookiemorris.com. Remember, you can also find show notes and more at our website, puttingupnumbers.com. And please tell your friends to listen, like, subscribe, rate, review, all of those good things. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I am Rudy Klanick. And we'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers.